W-H-Y-Y and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn, bringing you a little bit of a post-NLCS reaction, and we've got a little bit of audio to play for you from the Dave Dombrowski and Rob Thompson news conferences that took place on Thursday. I want to talk a little bit about what they had to say, uh, looking at Aaron Nola and Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins for next year, and some very interesting things from Dombrowski and Thompson that I thought they had to say uh, as they took a look back and reflected on the disappointment of their seven-game defeat at the hands of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'll give you my final thoughts. Just as I've had a couple of days, I'm sure we've all had a couple of days to reflect back on the disappointment and, and what we saw and replay all of those games and those decisions in our minds, wondering if you guys are feeling any differently about it. And I'd love to hear from you a- as these days go along. I would love to hear from you and, uh, and and for you guys to share your thoughts on the 2023 season and the playoffs in particular. Where do you think the Phillies went wrong here in the NLCS? What will be your lasting memory of this 2023 season? And here's the way you can do that. You've got a cell phone, right? Your phone likely has a voice. If you've got an Apple, you've got the voice memo. If you've got something else, I don't know what they use on, on the Androids, but surely there's a way for you to record a little thought, a message uh, onto your phone, and then you can email it to us over here at uh, Hit and Season Pod. No, it's Hit and Season at BillyPen.com. I had to remember it for a second. Hit and Season at BillyPen.com. If you'll record a voice memo and email it over to us, I'll play it on the show. And I'd love to hear what you have to say uh, about the season, about the playoffs, about the decisions that were made. You could say anything. Just let me know as long as it's clean family-friendly podcast and all that. But just record a voice memo and email it over to hittenseason at billypen.com, and uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. We're also going to take a look at some of the questions heading into the offseason, and um, I know that Dombrowski and and Thompson uh, kind of uh, talked a little bit about some of those questions uh, in what they had to say, so we might... Uh, we might overlap a little bit there on those topics, but it shouldn't be, I don't think we're going to do a real long podcast here for, for this episode, but uh, definitely wanted to make sure that we touched on some of the things that uh, team president Dave Dombrowski had to say as he spoke to the media on Thursday. And I know that as we have been taking a look back at this seven game series, I mean, it's, it's, it felt like, it felt like three different series. Uh, the first series in Philadelphia when the Phillies went up 2-0, the three games in Arizona, and then the two games back in Philadelphia. Part of me is wondering if this format, the seven-game format with the Phillies as the home team, whether that messed them up a little bit. This was the first time the 2022-23 version of the Phillies had home field advantage for a seven-game playoffs. They they had, remember, they were on the road for the first, uh, you know, four games of the of the playoffs last year, they didn't, and then they were. I mean, they were on the road in the three series before the playoffs. So they they went a long time before they played at Citizens Bank Park in 2022, and they didn't have home field advantage against the San Diego Padres. They didn't have home field advantage against the Houston Astros. They didn't have home field advantage in any of their series last year. They did have home field this year against the Marlins, but it's just two home games. They didn't have to do any travel. They were just amped up for those for those two home games, and then they started off on the road in Atlanta, just like they did last year in the division series. And the mindset going into that five-game series is, of course, you take one of those first two games, steal that game one, and then you try to win game two, but you come back home with a chance to win games three and four. And the Phillies did that last year against the Braves. They did it again this year. They were familiar with that concept. They were familiar with that flow. 
last year against the Padres, it was the it was a similar mindset. Takes take game one or two in San Diego, and then you come home for games three, four, and five, those three games in the middle where the Phillies swept all three games last year, winning that series in five games. This year is a little different. Obviously, they took those first two games in Philadelphia, destroying the Diamondbacks in those first two games, then went to Arizona for three. And it was pretty clear that somewhere between game two in Philadelphia, that off day, and then game three in Arizona, something happened, something changed, where they just got, they got knocked for a loop. I mean, that one game was, it was a weird start time too. It was, it was five o'clock Eastern time for game three, two o'clock West Coast time. They didn't take batting practice. They didn't take infield that day. Um, And you just wonder if, did that foul things up a little bit? Is that something that they would do again uh, moving forward in, in a playoff series? I know that Dombrowski said that that's how they approached it during the regular season. They aired on the side of rest, but you wonder if that was the right move or not. I have no idea if that was the right move or the wrong move, but you get those two games in Philadelphia, and then you go to Arizona, and the vibe completely changes, obviously, when you're going to Arizona, and you don't show up for game three. You don't show up for the first half of game four, but you end up taking a five to two lead in, in game four. And then of course the, the bullpen, Craig Kimbrell, Ryan Kirker and Greg Soto blow that game to smithereens. And, but you win game five, you, you, you recover and you win that game five, but then you've got to hit the road again and you've got to go someplace else to play game six and seven. The Phillies, the, the Phillies didn't have to come home last year for, for six and seven in, in any, in any case. And, and I don't know, everything seemed off. Because and then this is the first time they had the two home three away two home. I don't know if starting the series in Arizona would have been beneficial. Maybe they lose the first two games in Arizona and they start off in a two zero hole. You know, maybe they win the next three in Philadelphia and then they they lose game six in Arizona. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it was something was weird about this series. And so as as I have been thinking about trying to understand where things went wrong for this team, I'm not the only one. If you're still wondering, you're not the only one who doesn't really understand what happened in the final five games of the National League Championship Series against the Diamondbacks after leading two to nothing. Dombrowski was asked a very good question about when he thought the turning point of the series was. And like me, he couldn't really identify one true turning point. Listen to this. Well, they turned after game two, really, right? I mean, we did win game five. But we went to Arizona, and I'm not really sure what happened um, at that point. Um, it's not like we did a lot of things different, but we just uh, didn't perform as well when we got there. We didn't hit, really, is what it came down to. And so after the first two games, I think we felt very, um, you know, we were playing good ball, playing great ball, actually, at that point. And I was really surprised when we went through that first game. We didn't hit at all. Um, Really, game four, we didn't play. I mean, that, that's a tough one because, you know, we, we had that game. We didn't play a good game, really, game four. I, it really was not. But we were ahead late in the game. And in a short series, you give up a game like that, it can be tough. And then we, we bounce back like we have often in game five and really had a great game. And then I'm not sure what happened here because it's the one thing that normally um, – hasn't happened for us. I mean, we played so well at home, played so well in the postseason at home, a lot of confidence level. Um, I will say that, um, and I'm not sure that that's, I don't know, but I will say that, um, especially when you lose game six at home, the, the pressure is normally on the home team for game seven. 
and we, I, some guys look like that they might have been feeling the pressure. I'm not sure if they were or they were not. We didn't have really good at bats in Game Seven, and and I, I'm, I'm not really sure why their bullpen continually shut us down all the time. I, I wish if we had those answers, you would have adjusted with it. But it really was. Um, it was a different series once we went to Arizona. They beat us four out of five, which I would not have thought that they would. And again, I tip my cap to them. They played very well. And he's right. They did not play a good game in game four. You know, they, they got, they broke the 2-2 tie with that Alec Bohm chopper to third base that the third baseman threw away and they scored two runs. And then they, they got a, a fifth run after that. And yeah, that's, as you look back on all these games, we'll remember game seven, obviously, because it was a do or die and, and they had opportunities and, and fell apart and choked at home. But game four was was the one that's going to really hurt, that you can't, you can't blow. I mean, the Phillies recovered when they did that in Atlanta against the Braves in game two. But for whatever reason... And it felt like, but see, and I say that, it felt like they recovered in Game 5. It really did. They played a great game in Game 5. They played a really smart, sharp, crisp baseball game. There was good situational hitting, there was good running on the bases, and they hit a couple of home runs in that game. Like that, They played a really good game in Game 5, which is why I felt really good about coming back for Games 6 and 7. And Game 6, I think, is the real head-scratcher. How they were able to come out so flat, because Dombrowski's right. You lose game six, and now all of a sudden the pressure's on if you're the home team in a game seven. And the Diamondbacks were playing looser. They were playing like they like they were playing with house money. And the pressure was on the Phillies. And you could see that they played like it. They they expanded the strike zone, like Dombrowski talked about. And but so it was you you want to talk about a turning point? Maybe it really was game six. Maybe it was the the home runs that Aaron Nola gave up, that three spot in the second inning early that shook everybody. As I'm thinking about it in, in real time now, I think that may have been the turning point. Because you had the 3-2 series lead coming back to Philadelphia. You just won a great Game 5. You bounced back from Game 4, had a great Game 5, and put yourself in a position to, to go to the World Series with a Game 6 win. I think we all were 99% sure they were going to take care of business in Game 6, and then when they didn't, Game 7 rolls around and now everybody's nervous because, like, you've always heard anything can happen in a Game 7, and it did. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the other aspects of, of this series in just a second. I mean, I don't, I, we don't need to harp on it too much. They lost, right? They lost because they didn't hit is, is the big the big takeaway from this. Um and Dabrowski talked about that as well. He said he noticed that, you know, you heard him say that it looked like guys were pressing. They were chasing throughout the series. And, and both Dombrowski and Rob Thompson were asked about this team being so homer happy these last three months. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, teams that home run, that hit home runs in the playoffs, generally speaking, win the vast majority of the games. The statistics will tell you that the home run happy teams, generally speaking, do a better job in the playoffs because it's very hard to string a bunch of singles together and sacrifice fly your way into multiple wins in a, in a postseason series. So you, you want to have a team that can hit the long ball. What the Diamondbacks did really well was they saw a Phillies team that, for whatever reason, just started to swing at everything. They lost all plate discipline. Virtually everyone except for Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, really, lost their plate discipline. It all went away. 
And the Diamondbacks, to their credit, recognized it and, generally speaking, stayed out of the middle of the plate, except for Zach Galen, who kept throwing guys fastballs down the middle of the plate. I don't know why he kept doing that. But the majority, everybody else, just refused to do that. They refused to give in to the Phillies hitters, and and they found... I think Nick Nick Castellanos' comments after the game were really eye-opening. I mean, he was he said, you know, in Game 2, I went from seeing the ball so, so well, and then all of a sudden in Game 3, I'm just struggling to see the ball. And he, he was never able to pick up the ball again after that. And that just blows my mind. Like, I know how hard hitting must be. You see from umpire cams how fast balls come in. Pitching Ninja shows you the tunneling of how these pitches look like they're exactly the same for so long, for so much of their trajectory, and then one pitch will be a 97-mile-an-hour fastball on the outside corner. The other will be a slider darting six inches outside. And you, it's I don't know how a hitter, I don't know how anyone hits a professional pitcher. I, I don't know how they do it. But it is also mind-boggling to me how you can be seeing the ball so well, so clearly, and then the very next night, it goes away, and it goes away for the whole rest of the series. I know it happens. I'm not, I'm not singling Nick Castellanos out here. It's happened to Nick Castellanos. I think it happened to Trey Turner. It, it, it happened to a lot of the guys in that lineup. Where they just, I, I, and I remember used to, Ryan Howard used to say that all the time. I'm just not seeing the ball well. I, how do you go from seeing the ball well to not seeing the ball well? I, I'm, I'm, I know that it happens. I know it's a baseball thing. Because hitting is really, really hard. It's hard to pick up the baseball. I, I just, you know, just one of those things. It's, it's, it's as someone who doesn't play. And again, this is where baseball players get annoyed with people like me. I, I've never played at a significant level before, so I don't, I don't, I can't relate. I can't. I don't know the experience. But it, I felt bad for Castellanos because he's saying like, I'm, I'm trying. You know, they were all saying they were trying. I mean, Bryce Harper. Bless his heart after the game. He's like, you know, I got in the seventh inning when he flew out to center field. I, I got that 2-1 pitch. I got the fastball I wanted. I got it right where I wanted it, and I, I just missed it. That was one. That was like a key difference between the NLCS last year and the NLC, NLCS this year. Compare the two pitches. The one that he hit out for Bedlam at the Bank was in almost the exact same location, exact same speed as the one he popped out to center field. Baseball is a matter of inches, man. 107 miles an hour off the bat. There's an expect on Jason Stark tweeted out a ball of that hit, hit that hard. Generally speaking for Bryce Harper this year, he had a seven something batting average on balls hit that hard. He had 15 home runs on balls hit that hard this year. And that one didn't go out. So it's just, it's, that's, I don't know. Let me get back to some of the stuff Dave Dombrowski had to say here. Aaron Nola, talking about Aaron Nola, Dombrowski indicated that he is their number one priority to re-sign this offseason. But he did note that Nola will be in demand. He's not sure that the Phillies can meet the price that other teams might be willing to use to go after him. And I don't we're not talking about dollars, I don't think, here. I think we're talking about years. There was a that article that came out or that report that came out a couple of weeks ago during the playoffs where it said Nola during the during the spring was seeking a seven or eight year deal and the Phillies only wanted to go like four or five I mean that's a big gulf and I doubt that Aaron Nola is going to decrease his asking price he had a down year this year and he did not pitch well in game six of the NLCS but was very good before that Uh, generally speaking throughout his career has been more very good than than not good I, I, it will be it will be very interesting to see what he signs for eventually. 
I think Nola would love to come back. It seems like there's a real connection. I mean, everybody on this team, it doesn't seem like they want to leave each other. So I think the Phillies do have a real shot to re-sign him. He might be willing to take a, a hometown discount, but he wasn't willing to take one in the spring. So this is going to be his last big contract, and I'm sure his agent is going to push him to sign for the top dollar deal. And I don't know if the Phillies are going to, are going to be the highest bidder for, for Aaron Nola. But Dombrowski did say that if he does sign somewhere else, getting a top-of-the-rotation starter will be their number one priority. And we'll go over some of those possibilities here in just a second. Uh, Dombrowski also affirmed that Rob Thompson will be his manager next year. No big surprise. Anybody who thought that Rob Thompson wasn't returning next year clearly has brain chemicals oozing out of their ears. He did say he's done a tremendous job. And I, on the whole, I don't know how you can look at Rob Thompson's record and the fact that last year he got them within two wins of a World Series and six wins of a World Series this year and not say that he's done a tremendous job. And I, I know there are a number of radio hosts who think he's a liability in the playoffs. I don't see it that way. Uh, and we're going to get to some Rob Thompson comments about some of the stuff that he did in this in this playoff series. Generally speaking, I think Rob Thompson has pushed mostly the right buttons. I think he's pushed the right, right button 90% of the time. The 10% of the time he's missed, it's been... It's hurt them, and that's what happens in the playoffs. But I'm going to get into more Rob Thompson here in, in just a second. But Dabrowski would not commit to saying that they would sign that they were ready to sign him to an extension, that they were actively seeking to do that. Thompson is on the final year of a contract, which would make him a lame duck manager if he enters the year as one. Uh, but uh, he, Dabrowski said, you know, they, the series season just ended. They haven't gone down that road yet. I think they probably will sign him to like a, a two-year extension. So basically, have him here for another three years that that might infuriate you as a fan base, but I'm, I'm here to tell you Rob Thompson is a good manager. Rob Thompson's a good manager. He's not perfect. I'll tell you what, who, who else are you going to, who are you going to go out there and get? That's going to be a better manager than Rob Thompson. Someone who knows this clubhouse and knows these players and generally speaking makes good decisions. He, there, you look at what happened to the Padres this year and the Mets this year, these high priced, talented teams that, like the Phillies, got off to a slow start this year. But the Mets and the Padres collapsed, and you hear a lot about the internal discord and turmoil that went on as a result of that. The Phillies hung together and recovered and got to within two wins of getting back to the World Series for the for the second straight season. I mean, so the, the thought of dismissing Rob Thompson for 2024 is, is clearly dumb, and I don't think even... The WIP hosts were, were saying anything like that, but a lot, I know a lot of the callers and listeners, and maybe there's some of you listening who, who feel that way. I, I got to say, friends, that that is just way off base. Not not even, it's a horrible idea to, to get rid of, of Rob Thompson, but we'll see whether or not they give him an extension. Uh, if you don't want to sign him to an extension, you want him to just play out this last year, I, I can understand that. I, I can understand the wait-and-see approach. I would be fine if he got an extension because I do think he's a good manager. I think he's a solid dude, and I think he knows his ball. And he knows his players, most importantly. And as we've said before, this roster is going to look very similar. There will be changes, but the core is not going anywhere. They, a lot of these guys are signed for a number of years. The the starting rotation will almost will almost be will be almost entirely intact. You're going to have Zach Wheeler back. Um, they did say the Phillies also did say concerning a Zach Wheeler extension that uh, that they might be willing to that they would be looking to sign him to a, a long term extension. Uh, we're going to get to that uh, a little bit more in just a second as well. Uh, 
finally, uh, the last, I think, real important thing of note with uh, with Dave Dombrowski's comments was he talked about Bryce Harper at first base. Said they're going to sit down and have a heart-to-heart with Harper about where he wants to play, whether he wants to stay at first base or whether he wants to go back to the outfield. I got to believe Harper is going to make the decision that's best for him and the team, and he will not be choosing the outfield just so the Phillies can re-sign Reese Hoskins. I got to believe, probably too, Dombrowski will tell Harper, listen, we're probably not bringing Hoskins back. And so if you want first base, you need to tell me you want first base because chances are you're not, it's not that you're taking Reese's job. Reese is probably not coming back. Folks, I, I think you need to keep Bryce Harper at first base. I, I think he, he plays really well there and it frees you up to do different things in the outfield and get Kyle Schwarber out of left field. I mean, and, and get him on into the DH spot. Um, and maybe you mix and match a little bit during the course of the regular season. You get Harper some DH days. Uh, you get uh, Real Muto some DH days. Um, like that was the original plan when the DH was coming to the National League. And you had Harper and Real Muto and Schwarber and all those guys. But I don't see Reese Hoskins factoring into the 2024 Phillies. I would be very, very surprised if he does. And I think, I think, I don't know Bryce Harper from Adam, but I think Bryce Harper will stay at first base. It just seemed like a good fit. And I think it's going to be less taxing on his body. He doesn't have to dive around in the outfield. He doesn't have to make any any long throws from from you know right field to home. I I I think first base is the place for Bryce. He gives you good power at that at a power position, and he could be a perennial All Star at first base for years to come. I, I like him there, and I think that's where he'll end up staying. Rob Thompson also spoke to the media, and I thought the most interesting thing that he had to say was when he was asked what he thought he had learned from this National League Championship Series? I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of, just reflecting on it, there are a lot of decisions being made bullpen-wise. So there are some things there that I would want to change, and I'm not going to be specific. Um, the lineup situation. There's some things there that maybe I need to be a little bit more adaptable, you know. But, there's, but every decision I make, there's always a reason. Now, was the reason correct? That's, those are the things that I reflect on. So, again, he didn't get into the specifics, but let's talk about some of the specifics here. And again, I, I, I am of the belief, as I've been thinking about this more, that Rob Thompson's decision-making in games three and four, there certainly were some questionable decisions. I thought it was more questionable, his usage of Orion Kirkring in games three and four, than when he decided to use Craig Kimbrell. Because when Orion Kirkring was added to the roster, I don't think any of us thought that the kid was going to be getting these, you know, high leverage spots. It was, you know, kind of throw him in there against a team maybe that had never seen him before. You know, you're trying to, to, to fool some folks or whatever, but you're not... You know, you're, you're not necessarily bringing him in here to be like a stopper or anything like that. But in game three, the Phillies have a one to nothing lead on that wild pitch. The offense is doing nothing, but they they somehow managed to, to squeak out uh, a one nothing lead. Jeff Hoffman and Ranger Suarez get you through six. And with Sir Anthony Dominguez, totally healthy, totally ready to come out. You still you have Jose Alvarado available to you. You have Craig Kimbrell available to you. And at this point, Craig, Craig Kimbrell hadn't done anything to warrant anyone really being afraid of him other than the fact that Kimbrell had been shaky all year. I mean, Kimbrell was a lot like Hector Neris. There were base runners on all the time when, when Kimbrell uh, was on the mound, but 
the vast majority of the time, Kimbrell got out of it. I mean, that was just the. Cra- I remember saying before the series, the 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 playoffs started, Kimbrell's going to have a sub two ERA and he's going to give me a heart attack every night. That's that's just the way he. That's just the way he was. But uh, in this game, they take a one nothing lead in the seventh inning, and then Kirkering comes out instead of Sir Anthony Dominguez, and in that spot, the rookie who had pitched like two regular season big league games coming into the playoffs, you're putting him into the seventh inning with a one nothing lead on the road in game three of the National League Championship Series? That, to me, was the, the most questionable bullpen move of the entire series. Way more questionable than using Craig Kimbrell in game four. I, I just, that, that defied all logic using Orion Kirkering in that spot. No, Kirkering didn't retire a batter. He was hanging his slider. He gave up, he, he had three batters, gave up three hits. Again, Jose Alvarado um, got the, the final three outs of the inning, ended up giving up a run, giving up an inherited runner there, to, and it was 1-1. And then, of course, Craig Kimbrell comes in in the ninth inning, uh, walks two guys, and gives up the walk-off single to Cattell Marte um, in a game that really was just, again, I think was... And it's, I guess I was going to say, which is a turning point, but I don't know that it was the, I don't know it was the turning point, um, because there were, you know, there were a lot of other turning points, but, um, that was, that was weird. Okay. That, that, that was a really weird usage of Orion Kirkering and, you know, the next night in game four, let's talk about game four, uh, just for a second and, and what Rob Thompson did in that one, because yeah, I get it. You know, five to two, a five to three, you know, you bring in Craig Kimberlin, it doesn't work, but you know, you've got a 5-2 lead, and you bring in Gregory Soto. First of all, this has to do—I'm we, we, going to criticize Dave Dombrowski a little bit here because his big free agent pitcher signing in the offseason was Taiwan Walker. He was signed to be your Game 4 starter. That's the reason you went out and got him. Now, I know that both he and Chris Sanchez hadn't pitched in a really long time. They had simulated games. Neither guy looked good from what, from what everybody was saying. Taiwan Walker was all over the place, but so was Christopher Sanchez. They decide to go with Christopher Sanchez instead of Taiwan Walker. And Taiwan Walker had a, a monstrously large first inning ERA, had, had real trouble starting off games. So the, maybe that's what scared them off. But by not starting Taiwan Walker and by going with Christopher Sanchez, you basically robbed yourself of a pitcher for that game. And as it turns out, for the series as a whole, because Taiwan Walker could not apparently come out of the bullpen. Just it was not possible physically for Taiwan Walker to come out of the bullpen. Apparently, so you don't start him in Game Four. You 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 force yourself to use Christopher Sanchez, who could have come out of the bullpen, instead of having an extra pitcher, an extra left-handed reliever in Christopher Sanchez, one who could go multiple innings. Now you've 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 taken him out after two and a third innings, and now you've got to fill the the rest of the game with with all of these different relief pitchers, and none of them were terribly good. Like Jeff Hoffman was the only one who 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 did a half decent job in this game, and Matt Strom. Matt Strom had a good inning as well, but then Sir Anthony Dominguez comes in, and you try to get you know multiple innings out of him. He gives you one and a third, and uh, and gives up a hit and a walk, but but ends up getting out of it unscathed. Gregory Soto comes in, and only goes a third of an inning. Gives up a run in a third of an inning because he can't throw strikes. And they said that one of the reasons Gregory Soto had some problems this year was he got into camp late because of visa issues. They weren't able to work with him. What What is that? 
you had all season to work with Gregory Soto. What what is I, that doesn't no sorry that doesn't ring true to me. Gregory Soto was was as it turned out not a very good acquisition. Now you didn't lose anything in Matt Veerling and um, and Wolfie and Nick Maton in giving him up, so it's fine that you got him, but he he was untrustworthy the entire season because he couldn't throw strikes. And you have, oh, you bring in Orion Kirkering again. You use Sir Anthony Dominguez earlier in the game, and then you're using Orion Kirkering as like your 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 third to last guy out of the bullpen. I'm sorry that just doesn't that that order's got to be reversed. Like bring in Kirkering after Sanchez. I mean, you know, Hoffman was there to kind of quell a rally, so I get that. I get that. So maybe you use Hoffman there. Maybe you use Dominguez there, but. I, I don't get using Hoffman and Dominguez and then having Kirkering right there. So I, I think the Kirkering usage didn't make any sense to me. And, and as far as the as far as the Craig Kimbrell usage in Game Four, I I I did not really have a huge problem with Rob Thompson using Craig Kimbrell in that spot because who else is he going to use? He can't use Taiwan Walker and the other guy. That Dombrowski brought in, that their their top acquisition at the trade deadline, guy threw a no hitter for them during the during the regular season. They were terrified to use Michael Lorenzen in any of these games. They they trusted Orion Kirkering more than Michael Lorenzen, who threw a no hitter for them this year. A guy that they went after on the on, on, in the trade deadline, and he couldn't he couldn't sniff an inning in the playoffs in a big spot. They got him specifically because he could pitch in relief in the postseason. And then they were afraid to use him. Just I, I don't I don't get it. I just I don't I don't get it. They 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 went to they really felt like Orion Kirkering was gonna be this secret weapon. And the moment was too big for the kid. That's okay. It's not really his fault. I think he's gonna be great. I think he's gonna be a great relief pitcher for this team. I think he's gonna I hope he starts the season in the bullpen. I hope he has a great spring and I hope he I hope he shoves. But it was not his time. It was not his time. And he helped it. He he helped the, turn those those games, games three and four, into into the debacles that that they turned into. And and with Craig Kimbrell, again, I think it was reasonable to believe, given how Kimbrell allowed a lot of base runners all year, that he would be able to come out in game four and get the job done. Facing the bottom of the lineup, he came in to face six, seven, eight, right in the eighth inning, and just just lost it, just lost it. Really, where they where Rob Thompson messed up wasn't even really, in my opinion, in bringing Craig Kimbrell in there because I again I think I think there was a reasonable chance Craig Kimbrell was going to bounce back. He was still throwing hard. You can't. I mean, relievers can go from looking pretty lousy one night to looking on fire the next night. And we've seen that from Kimbrell. Kimbrell has had games where he looked terrible and then come back the next night and bounce back. you got to use him in that spot, unless you're using Michael Lorenzen. You've got to use him in that spot, unless you're going to use Michael Lorenzen early and you have Jeff Hoffman for that spot. But then what are you doing with, is Craig Kimbrell then just, you know, because of because he had a bad inning in game three, he's just done? Well, I don't know that you can pull the trigger that quickly. It's not realistic to pull the trigger that quickly. Where I think Rob Thompson messed up more than using Craig Kimbrell to start the eighth inning in game four was not getting him out of the game as soon as that home run left the yard. Because at that point, the game's tied. It's just a tie game. 
The Phillies don't, the Phillies are not losing at that point, but he keeps him in there and he gives up more walks and he gives up more hits to the point where then finally they got to go get Jose Alvarado and Jose Alvarado gives up the go-ahead hit in the bottom of the eighth inning on the inherited runner from Craig Kimbrell. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I think that was the big issue that I had with Rob Thompson's bullpen management. And then of course the, the, the lineup stuff, just not recognizing that his his team that something was going wrong that something was going on not moving Bohm out of the cleanup spot um you know i don't maybe move real muto around maybe move trey turner around. i mean i don't know what i don't know that what he could have done a whole lot more but getting johan rojas out of there during big at bats i mean christian pache I, i was surprised by how good his at bat was in the seventh inning of game seven and he's, I think, he, maybe he's not quite as good a defender as Rojas, but he's pretty close. He's pretty close, and and maybe maybe you take out, uh, maybe you take out Rojas, and you know Jake Cave is not a great option either. But maybe you bring in Pache in in certain spots, like with the bases loaded in the seventh inning. Maybe maybe that would have been um, the time to do it. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, those are some of the issues that Rob Thompson was talking about. Um, he said he's not concerned about entering on the last year of his contract. And he was also asked about Taiwan Walker's social media post. Walker was talking about the fact that he said something along the lines of the disrespect is real. And he liked a few tweets from fans that indicated that he was upset with Thompson for not pitching him at all in the playoffs. I can understand Walker being, being upset. Now Walker also could have helped himself by pitching well in some of these simulated games and forcing Rob Thompson to pitch him. He also pitched he was also a horrible pitcher in September and had that terrible first inning ERA number like we were talking about before. So it cuts both ways there, Taiwan. You didn't exactly do anything to warrant Rob Thompson respecting your abilities enough to put you in the game. I probably still would have started him in game four with a super short leash because it just would have given you a few more options. But at the end of the day, um, Taiwan Walker is going to be upset about stuff. All right, so that was the gist of what Dombrowski and, and Thompson had to say. Um, and uh, I think I've gotten through most of my final thoughts on the Phillies' postseason disappointment. Um, it's, I think, again, the, I think the game was, I think the series was lost in game six. Uh, the, the offense didn't make the adjustments. And here's the thing about Arizona. And I know Howard Eskin asked Rob Thompson and Dave Dombrowski about getting more speed at the top of the lineup. And what we saw with Arizona was they hit a lot of singles. They got a lot of ground ball singles up the middle. They hit a lot of line drive singles. But what they did was turn every one of those singles into doubles in games six and seven by stealing bases. One of the reasons their offense was terrible in the first four games, I'm talking about the Diamondbacks in the first five games, was they didn't run at all. Finally, in games six and seven, you saw them running because they knew that you can run on the Phillies. You can run, especially on guys like Craig Kimbrell, who if he gives up a walk, it's a double. Just about every time. And that's the problem with Kimbrell, is that he couldn't hold guys on with the new rules. So that was Arizona's keys to victory, was just running and turning every walk, every single, into a double. And that worked for them because then, you know, runner on second base, they just they got so many, they got so many RBI singles with runners in scoring position in this series when they needed the most. Their hitters were not trying to do too much. They made the Phillies pitchers throw strikes. They didn't chase nearly as much as Phillies hitters. They they looked ready for the moment, and the Phillies looked like the moment was too much for them. 
at home at Citizens Bank Park. I still can't wrap my head around that. All right, some questions heading into the offseason. We've touched on some of these already. Will Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins be back? Um, my gut tells me Nola will be. My gut tells me Hoskins will not be. Um, Nola could probably get between 25 and $30 million a year. I know that may make some of you crazy. Um, but I, am hoping that Nola figured something out with his mechanics at the end of the season. I know he had a bad game in game six. I, I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. It might just have been a, a bad Aaron Nola game, which we know happens from time to time, but he was, he was utterly phenomenal in like the seven starts leading up to that, including a number of really big playoff games. And you can't throw those out because he had a one bad game in game six. But I don't, if you don't want Aaron Nola back, I don't blame you because I was ready for him to go away too during the course of the season. I just don't know that any of these other options that are out there are better. You've got Blake Snell, uh, Marcus Stroman has a $21 million player option with the Cubs, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Lucas Giolito. They're all pretty good. Um, Jordan Montgomery was a revelation with, with Texas. Can he repeat it? Blake Snell's going to win the Cy Young. Is he going to cost any less or any more than, than Aranola? And is, can Snell be consistent from, from year to year? Um, if they don't like those options, they could possibly trade for Corbin Burns. If he doesn't sign a long-term deal with Milwaukee, um, you could also try and get Dylan Cease from the White Sox. I kind of like that idea. Um, so there you go. And then does Zach Wheeler get a contract extension? Wheeler turns 34 next May. Did you realize that he's going to be 34 coming into the final year of a five-year, $118 million contract, the greatest free agent contract maybe the Phillies have ever signed, maybe the best free agent pitcher contract ever signed of over $100 million. Just what a, what a phenomenal deal. Can you give him another four or five-year deal at 34? I don't know, but I think you kind of have to because <laughs> he's showing no signs of slowing down. Um, they're going to have to get somebody to replace Craig Kimbrell. Um, they're probably not going to go out and get Josh Hader. It didn't sound like uh, that was the type of pitcher that, uh, the type of reliever that Dombrowski was thinking of, but they're going to have to replace, I think they're going to have to find, uh, they're going to have to get something. I, I mean, I think Gregory Soto is still under contract for next year, but I don't know. He, I don't know that you can rely on him being one of your four guys at the back of the bullpen, um, at this point. Uh, does Bryce Harper remain the everyday first baseman or return to the outfield? Of course, that's going to be a big question. Is it, what is Taiwan Walker's situation? Can he um, can he fix the relationship with Rob Thompson? He's he's already penciled in as one of the starters for next year. Uh, will any of the 2022-23 core get traded? Hearing a lot of people saying stuff, trade this guy, trade that guy. I mean, it, could could they if they wanted to trade Nick Castellanos, which seems to be a guy that's gotten everybody's dander up, and I get it, terrible at bat. With, uh, with a runner on third and less than two outs in, in the fourth inning of Game 7. That being said, and, and the streakiness just drives you absolutely crazy. I, I, don't know that any, I don't know that there's a great trade market for Castellanos right now. Uh, what, about, what about one of the center fielders? What about Johan Rojas? He's not going to start the season with the Phillies next year. He's going to start in AAA. That seemed clear from what Dave Dabrowski had to say. Uh, Brandon Marsh will likely be the everyday center fielder next year. Hitting against lefties and righties, it certainly seemed like Rob Thompson and Dave Dombrowski were ready to make him the everyday, an everyday outfielder. Now, whether it's center field or left field kind of depends what they do maybe in the free agent market or what they do in trades. Um, I don't think Christian Pache has earned the right to start every day. My guess is Marsh becomes the starting center fielder again. That's what they traded for. And maybe they go out and they find something else for left field, like we were thinking at the trade deadline that they would do. 
Who is this? So, and, and so then who would be this team's everyday center fielder in 2024? And can they improve the bench? You've got to do better than Jake Cave and Edmundo Sosa. I, I just, it's, it's, you got to upgrade that area. Jake Cave was lousy this year. Sosa really was lousy this year. He was not very good defensively and he didn't hit for nothing. He had a lot of moments in the 2022 playoffs. He didn't have a single moment in the 2023 playoffs, uh, which is interesting. So those those are the some. We're going to talk more about some of those questions as the weeks move along. But that's just kind of setting up the next few weeks of the offseason because after the World Series, the free agent market's going to open up and teams are going to start signing players and we're going to get right into the hot stove. So I uh, remember last year after the World Series, the hot stove started like a couple of days later and we were already in Trey Turner fantasy land. So uh, that's going to happen again here before we know it. Last thing, the rating for the National League Championship Series were phenomenal, and, and may MLB executives have to be crying uh, that the Phillies are not in the World Series because the people love them some Phillies. Tuesday's D-backs Phillies NLCS Game 7 averaged a combined 4.7 rating and just under 9 million viewers across TBS and True TV. That's uh, a little over 9 million, including Spanish-language coverage on the MLB network. It was the largest postseason audience outside of the World Series since the last NLCS Game 7, which was in the 2020 bubble between the Braves and the Dodgers. That got 9.9 million. Arizona's upset. Uh, victory trails only the 2020 uh, game and the Yankees-Astros in 2017 as the most-watched League Championship Series Game 7 in the past 15 years. That's seven telecasts. Um, it was way better than the uh, Rangers-Astros ALCS Game 7 on Fox the night before, but uh, they were also going up against Monday Night Football, so not really a, a fair thing to judge against. So um, Phillies, the Phillies ratings were were really off the charts throughout the course of the postseason, and uh, what, a, what a fun team to watch, man, up, in, up until they weren't <laughs> anymore. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we need to kind of move past the 2023 playoffs and, and the NLCS. I think I've gotten everything off of my chest that I need to say about it, um, and uh, you're probably sick of talking about it and, and want to hear something else. So we'll start moving on to other things here. I can't bring myself to talk about the World Series. I can't bring myself to give you a prediction. I, 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 I'm rooting for the Rangers, not because I have any animosity towards the Diamondbacks, but the Rangers have never won a World Series before. They've come close a couple of times. They had their hearts ripped out in 2011 by the Cardinals. So uh, I think everybody, if you're listening... Give the Rangers fans, uh, give give the Rangers a, a a larger fan base here over the next week if you're planning on watching the World Series. I'm just, I may not be able to do it. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. And I uh, want to remind you to go over to our landing page over at Billy Penn. It's billypenncom slash Hit and Season. I have a, a long article there, kind of like uh, summing up the 2023 playoffs and, and what happened and my feelings on it as well in case this wasn't enough for you. You can go check out uh, some of our written work there. And that's where uh, that's where our home is over at Billy Penn. You can also get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, and uh, tell a friend, family member, even though the Philly season is over, that doesn't mean you have to stop listening to Phil's talk. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it worth your while during the course of the offseason as we get ready for 2024. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hidden Season.